when I picked that um, bumper video out like three months ago, it sounded normal to me, but now that I hear it, it's a little weird. But anyway, uh, it catches your attention, I hope, as we prepare uh, for Advent. Okay, uh, we might alter it next week, Samuel. This is the first Sunday of Advent. That's hard to believe, isn't it? And uh, in just a short while, we'll be facing Christmas. And today, we are focusing on hope. And I just want to say thank you so much to Janice for prayer and Janice for reading. <laughs> just want to get that right. And, uh, and also to Christine Buzan and her elves who came and set up some of the decorations. And Billy Ferguson for uh, making our uh, manger scene. We're going, going to be adding to the scene as the weeks unfold. So watch for that. That was Christine's idea, and that was a good one. So it's going to be exciting as we journey together through Advent, and I hope you can join whether online or on site. Advent, the word means coming, and it's a time, a season to prepare to celebrate the coming of Jesus. And often we think of the first coming of Jesus, as we do in the Christmas story, but also it's a time to prepare and to believe in and to reaffirm our belief in the second coming of Jesus. And so keep that in mind as we journey through this time of Advent. Some of us are saying, today, Lord, <laughs> come today. That would be awesome. Um, but we don't know. And so we prepare and we wait with patience as we go through this. It's also a season of list making. Are you list makers? I'm a list maker. I don't always follow my lists, but I make lists. And we have a list of chores to do as we prepare for Advent and Christmas. Some, if you're married, you have the honey-do list, right? Honey-do this, honey-do that. You've heard that before. Uh, we have cards to send sometimes, if you're into that sort of thing, or food to buy, or events to attend, or gifts, gifts to obtain. We've got lists. And as we go through the list, we soon realize something, don't we? We can't have it all. And we can't do it all. And some of those people we don't really like anyway. Um, so we're just going to cut them off the list. That's not true. Um, but we realize that we can't achieve everything on our list. So what do we have to do? We have to prioritize. We have to say, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> but this is. Because this is what's really, really important. Well, I think Advent calls us to prioritize our lives around the birth of Jesus. It calls us to reorient our lives around Jesus. And I think it's a, something that can be very radical, even difficult if we take it seriously. It can be something that can be quite disturbing, a life-altering thing to actually reorient our lives around Jesus if we take it seriously. But we don't often recognize the revolutionary nature of the birth of Jesus. Why is that? Well, I think because we've become so familiar with the story. We've told it over and over again, especially if we've been around church. We, we see it uh, portrayed and, and played out in so many different ways over the course of our lives. Uh, we almost become apathetic to it, even though we love it, but we become sort of apathetic because it's so familiar to us. But also, I think we don't recognize the revolutionary nature of the birth of Jesus because the story as we tell it is often too clean. 
We sanitize Christmas all the time, and I do it, and I think we all do it, and as a church, sometimes we do it. We like the clean version of the story. We like our characters to be properly dressed and attired and put in the right spots. We like clean Jesus. (laughs) We like sanitized Christmas. And even sometimes um, congregants tell pastors, just stick to the basic story of Christmas because we like sweet, dear baby Jesus, right? And there's a whole line in a movie about that. But, uh, but we like that. We like Jesus to stay small and manageable. We don't like it so much when he grows up and starts to make demands on our lives. That's a whole other story. So I think we constantly have to fight against that because here's the reality. And this is what I want to put out there. You can argue with me about this later. Not right now. It's, it's against the law to interrupt a worship service in progress. So, but here is my contention as we come to the story of Jesus. The birth of Jesus is the most disruptive event in all of history. Think about that just for a moment. The birth of Jesus is the most disruptive event in all of history. Think of all the disruptive events you can appeal to. Every generation has them, right? For some generations, maybe they look to the Twin Towers and the collapse of the Twin Towers 9-11. Hugely disruptive event. For another generation, maybe it was the assassination of Kennedy or one of the big figures in the time. For another generation, say my mom and dad, World War II, major disruptive event. I'm I'm missing one, right? Uh, COVID-19, has it been disruptive for you at all? I mean, we can point to so many disruptive events. I would still say that the birth of Jesus is the most disruptive event in all of history. And we get a hint of that as we read through the passage together. Right at the end of the passage, we have kind of this ominous prophecy that comes. Now picture the scene for a moment. Um, Dear sweet baby Jesus and his mom and dad, well, you know, earthly father, Mary and Joseph, are heading up to the temple. It's a beautiful day. They're going to the temple to do what the law requires. And along comes this great guy, Simeon. We're going to talk about him in a minute. Simeon comes along and they have a chance encounter at the temple. And Simeon takes dear sweet baby Jesus in his arms and blesses him. But then he says something weird. Honestly, if you caught it, he says to Mary, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. The whole, the whole scene has changed for us, hasn't it? Suddenly, this birth of Jesus, there's a nom, an ominous note to it. Something is coming down the line that's going to disrupt everyone. And that's exactly what we've seen. Some people have taken this story of Jesus, and it has raised them up to do beautiful things, healing things, good things in the world. And some people have taken the story of Jesus, and it has caused them to fall, and they have done terrible evil, disturbing things in the name of Jesus. There are people who follow Jesus in the world today who are being opposed to their very lives, to death even. And we see that in the world around us. And so I would say that this birth of Jesus is the most disruptive event to enter our world at any time. And unless we begin to catch that, I don't think we'll catch the whole impact 
of this story. Some of you know that we recently, Christy and I, acquired a motorcycle. And there's someone in this congregation to blame for getting us hooked back on motorcycle riding. I won't say who, but uh, thank you for that. And so now we have a motorbike just in time for winter. (laughs) So we didn't get a lot of riding out of it, but we love to do it. And one of the secret things of riding a motorcycle, if you've ever done it, is once you get up to speed and you want to turn a corner, you don't actually force the motorcycle over and lean it. You actually do something called counter-steering you push the handlebars in the direction that you want to go. Does that sound weird to you? It is. But once you get it, it's like magic. It's just so wonderful to feel that smooth, flowing back and forth, push right to go right. What you do when you do that to the motorcycle is you cause the motorcycle to start to fall. You actually disturb its course. Motorcycles and bikes, they love to go in a straight line in a direction and maintain that line. And so you have to actually disturb it. You have to force it to start to fall in order to change direction. That's what God has done in sending Jesus to the earth. He has forced us, he's disturbed it in order to change the course of history, in order to change direction. And I think to this day, even with COVID-19, God is disturbing us for a purpose and he's causing us to change direction if we pay attention to what he's calling us to do. So in this disturbing time, we look at the disruption that's caused by Jesus and what that might mean for us. So how do we make room for this intentional disruption of Christmas? How do we make room and accept the invitation to reorder our priorities in light of the birth of Jesus? How do we do that? Well, beginning this Sunday, we're going to look at Simeon, and each Sunday, we're going to look at a different character in the Christmas story whose lives were upended because of the birth of Jesus. So today, Simeon. Who has heard of Simeon? Have you heard of him? Good. He's kind of a minor character in the whole story of Christmas. I mean, you don't see Simeon at the, uh, at the manger scene, Right? I mean, the wise men are there, and they weren't there at the birth of Jesus, so why not Simeon? I think it's unfair, actually. And I I think for our manger scene this year, I'm just going to buy some random guy, and I'm just going to place him there. And when people come over, they're going to say, who is that? I'm going to say, that's Simeon, Uh, because he is such an interesting character once you get into this. We don't know much about Simeon. Uh, We don't know his background. A lot of people assume that he's a priest because of his connection to the temple. But the passage doesn't say that. A lot of people assume, actually, that he's old. Uh, Not necessarily. The passage doesn't say that either. I think he's just an ordinary guy. He's just an ordinary dude, which is great for each and every one of us, because I think most of us, with the exception of Eric McComish, are very ordinary people. There's others that are unusual people, but we are very ordinary people. And so we find ourselves in the story because of characters like Simeon. Simeon was an ordinary guy, but he had an extraordinary attunement to the Spirit of God. He was listening to the Spirit. And this whole story is Simeon being led by the Spirit. So although we don't know much about him, we know three things that are important. And that's what I want to give to you today. First thing is this. He was righteous. That's what we're told. Simeon was righteous. And that speaks to his relationships 
with other people. That's what righteousness is, being in right relationship with others. He was a man of his word. He did what was right. His yes was yes and his no was no. He was not given to gossip or to slander. He didn't misrepresent the character and actions of others in order to make himself look good. He could be trusted in business. You could count on him as a friend. He was an advocate for the vulnerable. He was a man of character and integrity. That's what this word means. He was righteous. He was just. He had that kind of reputation. We know that about him, and that was important. The second thing we know about him is this. He was devout. That's what we're told. This speaks to his relationship with God. He loved God. He worshiped God. He served God. He prayed to God. He had a reputation of faith. That's what this person was to us. I remember when I was a kid, my parents gave me a bookmark. Maybe you got one like this too. And it had my name on it, Scott. And underneath it, what did it have? It had a verse, Proverbs 22.1. Anybody remember this or have an inkling of what it was? The verse says, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And so I remember as a kid thinking, is Scott a good name? I mean, it must be. There's like four other Scots in my class at school. So it must be the best name ever, obviously. Is this a good name? Or is my mom and dad just saying, you're not going to get an inheritance, but we gave you a good name. So that should be good enough. No, that's not what it's talking about, is it? When it says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, it's talking about reputation. It's talking about character. When we pray in the name of Jesus, it's not just using Jesus like a special magical um, a potion or a name that we throw out there. We're, we're praying in the character and the reputation that Jesus has. And so Simeon had a good name. He was devout and he was righteous. A couple of weeks ago, I was invited to a birthday party. A birthday party for Ray Johnson, who turned 78 years old. And I've mentioned Ray's story a little bit before, but Ray is battling ALS and he's in hospice. And so we weren't able to meet in his room, so we did it through Zoom. And I could not believe the number of people on that Zoom call. It was almost overwhelming. And it was great to see Ray and Isabel in the room and just seeing all these people come to wish him well for his 78th birthday. And as I listened, not everybody spoke, obviously. There's only a few people that could speak. But I don't know Ray all that well. But what I heard was this. He was a devout man and is a devout man. He's a man of faith. And that came out as his co-workers and his employees and his family shared stories of faith. And he is also a righteous man. He was a man you could count on. He's a stand-up guy. And that was very obvious. Ray has a good name. People might not know much about us. But if they know these two things, then we're doing very well. That we are righteous and that we are devout. The bottom line is this. Simeon loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Simeon loved his neighbor as himself. But there's a third thing. Not only was he righteous, not only was he devout, but the passage tells us he was waiting. He was waiting. That speaks to his hope. His confidence for life and death was not in his devout and upright life. It was not in the temple or its rituals. He was waiting and looking for the one to whom all the Old Testament prophets pointed. In this passage, 
Jesus is called the consolation or the comfort of Israel. That was Simeon's hope. Simeon was waiting. Now we have to understand that before John the Baptist, for about 400 years, just keep this in mind, 400 years, there was no prophecy. There were no prophets. Some people call that the, the silent years when God didn't seem to be speaking at all. 400 years of silence. And during that time, Israel was ruled by the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans with varying degrees of freedom and then persecution. Many at the initial stages of that 400 years were waiting in hope for the promise of the Messiah. But by the time of Simeon, most people had given up hope. But not Simeon. That's why he stands out. He sustained his hope. And the word waiting in this passage, it has the connotation of waiting with anticipation. He was able to sustain his anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. And he got to hold Jesus in his arms. Isn't that remarkable? The story of Simeon reminds us that in the Bible, there are two kinds of time, two words in Greek that are used for time. And this is a very important lesson for us. The first word is chronos. That just measures the seconds of our lives. We are sometimes trapped in the tyranny of chronos. Just the seconds, the appointments in our calendar, the seconds on the clock, the waiting and waiting and waiting in that period of time that seems to go on forever. Time's weird like that though, right? There's some days if you're at work or if you're in a situation that you don't like, um, that time just seems to go on forever. And then suddenly you look back and you think of when your kids were little or when you, know, you had a holiday and you're like, that went by so quickly, right? Time is, is kind of a liar when it comes to that. That's chronos, just this relentless ticking of the clock. Simeon was caught in chronos. He was waiting seconds and years, and just like people before him had been waiting. But there's another kind of time spoken of in the Bible, and it's called kairos. Kairos time is different. Kairos time is the moments that mark God's plan, God's timing, and God's promises. So here's what happened. This encounter with Jesus that Simeon had interrupted his chronos in order to give him kairos. That's my prayer for you and for me during this time of Advent, that this relentless ticking of time as we journey through COVID, as you journey through whatever it is you're journeying right now, that God would interrupt it, that God would disturb it and give you a kairos moment or two. A moment or two when you're very aware of his presence. And in that moment or two, your hope is restored. So like Simeon, we are also waiting. <laughs> waiting for news, good or bad. Perhaps waiting for love, waiting for relief to come. Waiting for good things. I know of people in my life and in our congregation who are waiting for death. Waiting for an end to COVID. <laughs> We are waiting together for the coming again of Jesus. So what do we do while we wait? That's the old Blue's Clues thing. If you had kids and you watched Blue's Clues, there's a whole episode and they're standing in line. And the song, I won't sing it for you. I'll spare you that. But the song goes something like, what will we do while we wait? That's always the question. Well, the answer is be like Simeon. Love mercy, act justly, and walk humbly with God. That's what we're called to do while we wait. 
continue to love our neighbor, and continue our regular habits of devotion and faith. That's what we're called to do while we wait. And while we do that, watch for the Kairos moments. Watch for the moments when God will come near and restore our hope. This Advent season, I hope we can reorder our time so that we're prepared to recognize and receive those Kairos moments of God's presence with us. May we allow the birth of Jesus to disrupt our apathy and to give us hope. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for sending your son. Thank you that you broke the time of silence and you spoke again to your people. Thank you that you fulfilled all your promises in Jesus. And thank you that looking back now, we can have hope for the future because of what he has done for us. Father, I pray for people here today in the congregation or at home, our family and friends that we know that are just really struggling during this time. I pray that they might have a moment of real clarity where you draw near. May you restore our hope as we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.